Let's start again. Um, as way, by way of preliminary information, last week when we ended, I said, how many of you have heard of Mount Seir? And you said, nobody did. All right, so um, that's the first problem that we want to address, is what is this Mount Seir place? And it's not in your maps either. Is it in Google Maps? I don't know. You can Google it. Um, so we're going to talk about that uh, at the beginning here. But first, we probably should read. It's not a long chapter, so I think we should just read the whole chapter, and then we can just plow through it. And uh, as I mentioned in church, I hope that you find some wisdom in what we read uh, applicable to today as well. That's, we try to do that in Bible study. Now, it's hard to do that in a sermon because everybody's situation is a little bit different. But here, we can interact with whatever's connects to your heart and mind and your experience. All right. So first, let's read chapter 35, a short chapter. Who wants to read? The word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, set your face against all sin and prophesy against it and say to it, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am against you, Lord, and I will stretch out my hand against you. And I will make you a desolation and a waste. Ouch. I will lay your cities waste, and you shall become a desolation. And you shall know that I am the Lord. Because you cherished perpetual enmity, and gave over the people of Israel to the power of the sword, at the time of their calamity, at the time of their final punishment. Therefore, as I live, declares the Lord God, I will prepare you for blood, and blood shall pursue you. Because you did not keep bloodshed, therefore blood shall pursue you. I will make Mount Seir a waste and a desolation, and I will... Sorry, I'll scroll there for you. Okay. And I will cut... Cut off from it all who come to And I will fill its mountains with the slain. On your hills and in your valleys and up in all your ravines, those slain with the sword shall fall. I will make you a perpetual desolation, and your cities shall not be inhabited. Then you will know that I am the Lord. Isn't that encouraging? All right. <laughs> Because he said, these two nations and these two countries shall be mine, and we will take possession of them, although the Lord was there. Therefore, as I live, declares the Lord God, I will deal with you according to the anger and envy that you showed because of your hatred against them. I will make myself known among them when I judge you, and you shall know that I am the Lord. I have heard all the revilings that you uttered among, against the mountains of Israel, saying, they are laid desolate, they are given us to devour, and you magnified yourselves against me with your mouth, and multiplied your words against me. I heard it. Thus says the Lord God, while the whole earth rejoices, I will make you desolate. As you rejoiced over the inheritance of the house of Israel, because it was desolate, so I will deal with you. You shall be desolate, Mount Seir, and I'll eat of all of it. Then they will know that I am yeah, I know. I love that last statement. We've seen that all through Ezekiel. Then they will know that I am the Lord. And it's like, is this the Lord you want to know? The one that makes you desolate <laughs> and makes it so that no one ever lives there ever again? Hmm. Right. But uh, you know, I quote the prophet, another prophet, um, the Lord makes weal and woe, weal and woe. Right. Or to quote um, Job, right? The Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Right. That, that really bugs us because we think, oh, the Lord only gives life. Um, no, he gives both life and death, right? Okay, so um, what do we want to talk about? We want to talk about this Mount Seir place. Mount Seir is uh, affiliated with, sorry, with Edom, with Edom. Uh, you remember the Edomites, right? Everybody remembers the Edomites? They're not very good people. Okay, Edom, Edom means red. Edom means red. So who is, who is red? I always call him... Yeah, Esau, right. So when I read the story of the kids, you know, 
red, I just substitute red for Esau. That's kind of funny. Because it makes me think of how many show, different shows that have had characters named Red. Well, Red Skelton, and there's other people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, uh, let's see, the first paragraph. So we have, we have two, we're gonna have two mountains set up. The problem is with this chapter is, if you didn't already know this, it's worth mentioning that chapters and verses were not part of the original text. So they're artificial dis- divisions, right? They've been added. Um, for, for, your, for your benefit, to navigate around, especially a long book like Ezekiel. Uh, yeah. Uh, no, no, it just depends on the length of the book. It's a long book, so it has a lot of chapters. A short book has short chapters. Uh, some books don't have any chapters, like Obadiah or Philemon, right? No chapters, just verses. Because you don't, it's one chapter. Yeah. Um, but th- what that means is that sometimes you say, we, we like say we're going to study chapter 35 and not 36, and you don't realize that 35 goes right into 36 and it's a continuous thought. And that the division between 35 and 36 is artificially put there. It's not really, and we're not going to read 36, we'll do that next time. 36 is a very long chapter, and I would suggest to you the first 15 verses of that belong to this oracle. But we're, today, for the sake of time and whatnot, we'll only handle the first half of the oracle then. The second half of the oracle, as you've been, you're, you're used to this. There's against, 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 and then there's kind of a restoration at the end, right? All right, so uh, Mount Seir is, is Edom, and again, Esau is who we're talking about here. And so the second paragraph, don't forget that Edom has long been at odds at Israel, sometimes even subliminally. It's just in the background. The conflict began in Re- Rebekah's womb. You know the story. Jacob and Esau were wrestling in the mom's womb. That sounds pleasant, doesn't it, ladies? Yeah, rolling around in there. Dun, 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 dun. Probably even less pleasant than afterwards. Hmm. No, that doesn't sound fun either. That's right. Yeah, I think we just forget. And everybody carries different too, right? All right, so what's, that th- what's the reason for the conflict? Uh, Esau's rash sale of his birthright to Jacob, you know, for the pot of stew. And then Jacob's deception of his aged father, Isaac. Both of those sets the stage for their conflict for chapters until chapter 36. They do reconcile after the famous um, ladder incident, right? Jacob goes across, across the Jabbok and greets his brother. They end up embracing. It turns out Esau doesn't hate him for what he did, which is a beautiful story of reconciliation. Even though, or, and also, by the way, a discouragement for you to tell stories in your head about what you think's happening without actually like talking to the person. What you think's going on in their head, you think Esau hates you, and it's like, if you had just talked to him, you would have realized he wasn't coming out to kill you, he was coming out to greet you as a brother. Yeah, so yeah, don't, don't tell narratives in your head. <laughs> um, just talk to the person. Of course, you might die if he actually does want to kill you, but yeah, so be it. <laughs> All right. Um, by the way, the relations between them and their people don't improve. Even at the time of Moses, you know, when they're coming out of, they, they should go take the shortcut up by the Mediterranean Sea, but instead they have to go all the way around Edom because Edom won't let them go through. They, the, even if Esau reconciled with Jacob, the Edomites don't reconcile with Israel, the sons of Jacob. Yeah, you know how it is. They had to take the long way around to the promised land, and then they ended up taking an even longer way because they refused to go into the promised land, and then the Lord caused them to wander for 40 years. But and it's on that initial trip. They, they have to go around Edom 
which is right, right south of the Philistines, basically, but along the, the Mediterranean Sea there. So it would be the shortcut from Egypt, just to go right across the Mediterranean and go up. Instead, they end up having to go, yeah, right, the long way. Because you can't go through the middle of the Sinai Peninsula, it's just desert. So there's no water, so you can't do that. All right, so, yeah. And then Moses, in his farewell speech, encourages Israel to reconcile with Edom, uh, but we don't have any evidence that they ever listened, <laughs> which is how it goes. The pastor says this farewell sermon. I hope you guys do better, and then they don't. So. Right. so I guess it's nice that he said that, but you can go read it in Deuteronomy 23. By the time of the 8th century, Edom is the archetype of the pagan kingdoms of the world. So they, go, they completely apostatize. They don't... There's no memory even of the God of their father, of Isaac. It's gone. Um, it's, and there's, so then they're only second to Babylon as like a nation opposed to the kingdom of God. So you have, um, not Amon, Amos condemns Edom for their pitiless treatment of a brother. Obadiah uses similar oracles to the ones we're going to read in Obadiah, just one book. Uh, Edom then, and especially Mount Seir, is set against Mount Zion, or Edom against Israel. You could say it either way. So they're opposed to each other. And it's somewhat, not is every Edomite opposed to every Israelite? Probably not, right? But as, as a whole, it's like the people of God versus the people of the devil, that kind of thing, right? And we, do, we love to think in binary categories and say all Israel are, are godly and all Edom are ungodly. And it's probably not exactly true. It's like saying everybody in church today was a Christian. <laughs> Oops, did I say that? I'm sorry. What? Yeah, how do we know? Only the Lord knows. That's true. Um, Edom represents the forces that Yahweh alone had to defeat in his salvation of Zion. We used to have a hymn about this, but it's not in our hymnals anymore. Oops. Because, you know, we only have so much space. Summer schedule. People are still at Why didn't we change back? Because... Board of directors, you can talk to them. Oh, really? Yeah, we didn't. We just we were gonna. Were we gonna ask them today? I think that was the plan. Mm -hmm. Don, I'm looking at Don. Yeah, sorry. Do we want to change her? I don't think so. Now he's not even gonna ask. Okay, well, <laughs> don't say anything. Nobody will ask. All right, listen to this. Listen to this. This is uh, hymn 209. It's a it's an Easter hymn. Who is this that comes from Edom? Have you heard this one? You know the tune. Yeah. Uh, who is this that comes from Edom, all his raiment stained with blood, to the captives speaking freedom, bringing and bestowing good, glorious in his, the garb he wears, glorious in the spoil he bears, question mark. Tis the Savior, now victorious, traveling onward in his might. Tis the Savior, how, oh, how glorious to his people in the sight. Satan conquered and the grave, Jesus now is strong to save. It's a good hymn, right? But it's, but it's, he's coming from Edom because he's destroyed Edom. That's referring to this text. Yeah. It's just kind of like, I imagine that's why they dropped it. Is maybe even the hymnal committee is like, Jesus comes from Edom? What are they even talking about? Let's just get rid of it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's, we've talked about this. There's so much that's in Ezekiel that we just never hear in church. So then we don't, when, when we, even when we see it in the New Testament, we wouldn't recognize it unless we knew it. So it's worth our study. All right. Uh, and then Mount Seir. The reason we can say Mount Seir is Edom is because they occupy it through almost all of biblical history. And it, not just according to the Bible, but according to uh, 
other sources. Did we drink all the coffee? Look at that. You guys are beautiful. There'll, there'll, be, there'll, be, more at the, there'll be more at the picnic. It's fine. Does somebody have like a big, did they bring like a, no. it's all good, it's all good. If I have to bring more coffee, I'm not going to complain. I like bringing coffee. All right, it's hard to know exactly where this Mount Seir is, but, uh, or Moab in general, but this is kind of the, the descriptions I found. It's the southern end of the Transjordan Plateau. You all know where that is, right? From the northern border with Moab to the, uh, at the Zered Canyon, and perhaps as far as south as the Gulf of Aqaba, is bordered by desert on east and west. So, anyway. All right, so there you go. Mount Seir is Edom. Edom is the uh, second only to Babylon as like the enemy of God's people. Right? Now, I, I suppose you could throw the Philistines in with that too. Right? Uh, but it's almost, Edom is almost worse because they were once brothers and now they're opposed to each other. You see the same dynamic between the northern and southern kingdoms. Right? That the southern, the northern kingdom splits off from the southern kingdom and then we heard that in our Old Testament reading last week where you had the... Um, where you have the, Judea, Ju, the people from Judah being captured by the Sumerians. And, and then the Sumerian, who was the prophet to Samaria that told them to send them back? Because they were brothers. Anybody remember last week's Old Testament reading? I remember it more than you do, apparently. Okay, uh, one of the prophets, a prophet, yeah, it was the Old Testament last week, says, no, send Send the Judeans back, because the Lord did not give you to take them into exile and make them your slaves. They're your brothers. Now, they, the kingdom has been split for 100 years, and yet they're, the Lord says, no, they're still your brothers, even though you're two separate kingdoms, which is kind of interesting then, because that's, of course, true for Christians. Like, we, we, know, we have no nationality as far as Christians. Like, yet we join, we're part of a nation, I'm sure, all Christians are, but our identity as Christian is not bound to any nation even if the nation is ostensibly Christian. That's our, our allegiance, our nationality, our inheritance, all of that is bound to Jesus. Follow? All right, yeah. And we'll talk a little bit more about the political allegiance here in a minute. All right, so let's go to verse 2. This is the word of the Lord came to me. We've seen that all over Ezekiel. Son of man, set your face against Mount Seir. You do not want the, fa- the Lord's face set against or his prophet's face set against you. Right? This is why people hide from pastor all the time, right? Well, especially if he's going to prophesy against them. Pastor, right, you're just not going to even talk to pastor. Don't talk to pastor because pastor comes, you know, right? It's the same idea. Um, and then he uses all of this, all this doom language that we've talked about, right? I am against you. I stretch out my hand against you. That's bad. I make you a desolation and a waste. I lay your city's waste, and you shall become a desolation. Did you get the point? Seems like he just said that. <laughs> Anytime somebody says something twice, you know they're serious, right? Yeah. So this is true. Desolation, desolation. Uh, we're going to keep hearing about desolation in a minute. And you shall know that I am the Lord. I will lay your city's waste. And I, and I suppose that sounds terrible, doesn't it? Like, how could the Lord do that? These are people that he made, right? Edomites, still creatures of God? Yeah. Hmm. And uh, there's a statement on here somewhere. I don't know where I put it. But um, 
all of these judgment, whether it's via oracles or via history, think about like God commanding Israel to go in and destroy all the Canaanites, right? Which they don't do, but they're supposed to, right? Those cannot be understood as just uh, occasions of history. They have to be understood in terms of the last day or the eschaton, if you prefer, the technical word, eschatologically. So there you want to think sheep and goats, wheat and tares, being bound hand and foot and cast into the judgment. All right. Um, there's a, oh, there is a technical word. All the technical words are coming to me today. Sorry. Um, it's a proleptic judge, judgment. Not like prolapse, but it's kind of like prolapse. It comes from the same root. Proleptic. So um, Canaan receives the judgment for their unbelief ahead of time, before the last day. They're killed rather than spare. So it's just, it's the same judgment that all will be come before Jesus on the last day. And either they, those who have faith in him are judged righteous and brought into the land. Those who refuse to believe will be cast into the outer fire and judged. And so the destruction of Canaan is not just about God just being mad at people or just like being vindictive or not even vindictive, just capricious and just destroying people because that's what he likes to do like Thor does, or not Thor, Odin. Odin or Zeus or whatever, who just like, oh, I'll just strike you down, right? Like for no apparent reason. No, the judgment against Canaan is a judgment for their unbelief. The judgment against Edom and, or Mount Seir is a judgment for their unbelief. It just happens ahead of time, right? Now we always pray that God would, would be patient with us, that he would delay his judgment for the sake of repentance and forgiveness of sins, especially those who we know and we love who don't yet believe that God would withhold his judgment until they repent, right? So that they don't die outside of faith. So um, I'm sure there are some people who had relatives in Edom who said, oh no, I better pray for them. Maybe send them a note. (laughs) Uh, There's judgment coming against you, right? All right. And it is what you deserve. That's the unfortunate truth of it all, right? You don't deserve mercy, peace, or any of the things Jesus gives. (laughs) He gives them to you freely out of his grace, out of his goodness, not out of yours. All right. Good so far? Five and six is going to describe the reason for the judgment, and that's the blood feud between Edom and Israel we've talked about. Uh, But not only is it a blood feud, but they actually like it. They like being enemies with Israel. So they're judged for that. Oh, bye, Dorothy. She's so excited about it. All right, I'm going to switch back to King James here. New King James. But you had, have had an ancient ha- um, hatred. You cherished, you cherished it or it was ancient. And have shed the blood of the children of Israel by the power of swords since their calamity when their iniquity came to an end. Right? You've actually, as ESV said, you've actually enjoyed it. You cherished perpetual enmity and gave the people over the people of Israel to the power of the sword at the time of their calamity. In their time of need, you just let them be killed. Right? Now that's referring specifically to the way that when Babylon came, Edom did not come to rescue them. Edom allied with Babylon against Israel. Right? So that would be like, you know, when the judgment day comes, you say you're going you're gonna to join with the, uh, with the Chinese Communist Party when they try to overthrow our country. Right? And you're just enjoying them. Better to join my enemy than, than fall in judgment, right? Well, that's what it is. They're brothers. They should, he sh- they should defend one another. Instead, I'm just, I'm just going to support the enemy because, right, um, it seems like a tale as old as time, doesn't it? I was thinking some more of an example. 
It's in movies. <laughs> I was trying to think of other historic examples. All right. Conspire with the enemy. Conspiring with the enemy. That's what we call it, right? Yeah. All right. So that's what they've done. And uh, especially when they were in their time of need. And you actually enjoyed it. You were always at enmity with them. And uh, that's no good. Let's go this way. All right. Therefore, as a result, verse 6, as I live, says the Lord God, I will prepare you for blood and blood shall pursue you. Since you have not hated blood, therefore blood shall pursue you. So this is that old um, statement from Genesis 9. He who sheds man's blood, by man shall his blood be shed. Right? Or karma, if you prefer. <laughs> right? Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Or in this case, the Lord says, what you've done to Israel, I'm going to have meted out upon you. You're going to experience the same kind of bloodshed you allowed Israel to experience. Yeah, Matt. Um, could you explain just a little bit about that, the context? Like, is this about like when they're starting to transition out of the mm -hmm. slavery and getting back to Israel? Yeah. Okay. Right. So this was a couple weeks ago. We made a we made a, a transition in chapter 33 when Jerusalem falls finally, and the rest of the exiles. So Babylon, like, kind of they conquered it, but they didn't like fully destroy the city. They left some puppets in place, even a puppet king. Right? Ezekiel's in exile, but they have a puppet king in place. Uh, the puppet king rebels against Babylon too, so he gets, over, he gets his eyes gouged out after he watches his sons die and gets taken into exile, along with the rest of the exiles, and they leveled the city, Babylon. This is after Ezekiel's found out, the messengers come back and said, Jerusalem has, has fallen. So now Ezekiel actually shifts gears, and it's like, okay, now that the judgment has come, which God has been talking about, now, for the most part, he speaks um, words of hope from chapter 33 through 48. This is kind of odd. So this is a good point. This is an odd oracle of judgment. We're not going to see very many of these moving forward. Um, it's almost as if it Ezekiel's like, oh, but wait, I forgot to mention Edom or Mount Seir. Because we had a little judgment against Edom back in, in the oracles against the Gentiles in chapter, it's on there somewhere. Oracles of Judgment against Edom, chapter 25. 12, it was only three verses, though, against Edom. And now we get this full, and I mentioned it then, hey, we're going to get a full judgment against Edom later on. And this is where it is. And it does seem to be just kind of plugged in here, kind of out of place even, which that's okay. You know, it's still inspired by the Spirit, even if it doesn't make a lot of sense in its ordering to us. That's like, read the book. I told you to read the book of Proverbs. Good luck. Right? It goes all over the map. It's like, He's one thought to another thought to another thought. And you're like, it's hard. To, there's no like, it's like opening fortune cookies one after another. Yeah. <laughs> Which is fine. Don't just keep reading. Just stop and think about the one that you just read. And then read the next one tomorrow, right? Or later in the day. All right. It's a different kind of thing. Does that help, Matt? So, yeah. um, but he is, what is he speaking of? They shall, Edom, be destroyed. Um, Edom it, that never comes back again after the Babylonian conquest. They're done too. Israel gets restored, but Edom doesn't. But like I said, I don't think you can really understand this except for, um, like in a, in a more metaphorical sense, talking about the judgment against um, nations that have rebelled against God as a whole. On the last day, they'll be judged in the same way, made a desolation, a waste. So it's both. Is that... still kind of like in a falling action kind of thing going on before they start going? It actually goes like this. So they started out okay, but then 
things got worse and worse and worse as we went through the first 30 some chapters. And now we're on the upswing finally. Or it, or it could have been like, the, uh, it got really bad. Um, some of the marital images were pretty terrible. Yeah. But again, whether you're a Gentile or, or God's people, quiet please. Whether you're an Israelite or you're a Gentile, if you rebel against the Lord, it doesn't go well for you, regardless, right? Doesn't mean he's not long-suffering and patient. He is, right? But there is ultimately an end to that, that patience. As there is with parents. Parents know this. <laughs> There's an end to your patience, right? At some point, you snap. The Lord does it in goodness. You, probably you don't. All right. Um, so this is, this is like eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, Hammurabi kind of thing. Right? They're going to get what, what's coming to them because they gave, that, what they gave out is what they're going to get back on their head. Which is a pretty harsh judgment, right? So blood pursuing, blood pursuing, right? That's, they're going to come and kill you. And then what will happen to the place they live? It will be most desolate, right? Um, and I will cut off the one who leaves and the one who returns. We've got to come back to that. Um, I have a lot more to say on this, didn't I? Yeah, I should read this. Edom is described as one who shed blood vindictively and with full culpability. Hence, the blood he shed will seek its own justice and he will find no city of refuge. Which sounds a lot like Cain, right? Remember Cain's like, no one will, if anybody finds me, they're just going to kill me. And God's like, no, I'm going to put a mark on you and anybody who kills you, they will, you know. Yeah. Um, same thing happens with Edom. God's judgment on the heathen enemies of his people is part of the law gospel dialectic that extends through the scriptures. Ancient enemies leading to bloodshed and war still characterize life. Huh. Think, uh, I don't know, Israel and Palestine. Mm. That's thousands of years of, of enmity, right? They're not going to give it up. Um, at least not, not by human means, right? There is no permanent political or social solutions to the conflicts between people. I said there would be some wisdom here. That, I think that's the wisdom for you. Like every politician who comes along saying, we've got the solution to what ails our people, whether it be like what, what's dividing us or um, what? Our, like we had the solution called Obamacare and now life mor mortality in the U.S. We're the only developing country, or not developing country, we're the only first world country that has a lower life expectancy over the last 10 years than everyone else's has been... Going up. Ours is, still, is going down. Since we did this incredible thing so everybody would have access to health care, right? And like, I don't know if there's a correlation. There may be, there may not be. But they, they, and the point is, if somebody comes along saying, we have a better solution, beware. Especially if it's a political one. Oh, we're going to solve world hunger by taking all of your food and giving it to the people who need it. I'm like, well, but wait a minute. <laughs> if you take our food, then... We're going to be, everybody's going to be hungry. Yes, everybody, but they'll have a little bit more food, but you'll be hungry now too, right? It doesn't make any sense. Yeah, yeah. And the poor you have all, with you always. Um, let's see. What's that? Oh yeah, eat Z-bugs. Right. Um, social solutions too. So you've seen this. I mean, I commend people like, you know, like Florida and saying, okay, we're not going to allow this to be taught in our schools our public schools, and they have the right to that because they hold the purse strings. So they can say what's taught there, right? And, you know, that's, you can still opt out and not even send your kids to those schools. Same thing with universities. But the 
who was it? Oh, the Department of Education along with the DOJ brought a lawsuit against um, new whatever college in Florida because they fired their diversity, equity, inclusion person. And they're like, you can't do that. That's, you're violating civil rights rules. And you're like, we just eliminated the position because we're not teaching that. And they're like, well, you can't do that. So there's a lawsuit. Uh, beware of people saying you have a right to something. Uh -huh. Right? Right. Right. Yeah. All right. No, nothing permanent. That doesn't mean you can't try. And you can't f but this is why the art of compromise is what politics is. Politics is always compromise. Even on things that really matter, like life, abortion, for example. Like, I know there's a lot of people who say life begins at conception. That's what we believe, right? Actually, we believe life begins before conception because the Lord actually knew you before he formed you. <laughs> Which is even more like, try to prove that with science. You can't, right? It's a theological statement. It is true. It's real. All right? But we can't, we're not going to have laws that enforce that. that. We have to be reasonable about it. And I don't like it. I don't think, you know, a six-week child dying is any better than a... 36-week-old child dying. I mean, that's in the womb, killed by their mother or, mo or father or both, right? Um, but as far as politics go, I, good luck. I mean, you're going to have to compromise on that. And maybe it's heart heartbeat laws seem to be the most successful at the moment. The courts are upholding them. It's like, well, clearly it's life because there's a heart beating. I'm like, okay. And that's at like eight weeks or six weeks. and depends on who you ask, which, which law. Oklahoma, I think, is six weeks, right? So that's the art of politics. Unfortunately, it's compromise, and we want it all, and we want it now. You've all learned to compromise, too, though, because you always are told, just vote for the lesser evil. And they're like, well, then you're saying they're both evil. <laughs> uh, maybe I just don't even want to participate in evil at all. Is there somebody who's not evil? Yeah, that means you should run, hopefully. I don't know. Well, we could also say we believe that everyone is evil. You know, corrupt, sinful according to the flesh, right? And, it, and so this is the next point. Lasting peace begins to come, never perfectly, but begins to come only when God's word of law and gospel does its work, putting to death the sinful nature of individuals who then by the power of the spirit we heard in church today, begin to lead the new life of faith in Christ and all of the fruits of the spirit are manifest. So if you want peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control, you know, against such things there is no law, they only come to forgiven sinners in whom the Spirit is working. Right? And they don't come by your work, they come by the Spirit's work in you. So you want these things, then you go where God makes you a good tree so that you bear good fruit. Make sense? Yeah. This is why I say, if you want a good politician, find one who actually goes and repents of his sins to his pastor. Yeah. I mean, I, even if he makes mistakes and he doesn't do a great job, if he actually goes, and he, like he goes to confession, or, or even just publicly confesses like we do on Sunday morning, you're going to find somebody who's a lot farther along and, that you can agree with on a far more. Because at least they're not even going to be, if they are duplicitous, they're going to recognize. They might even say, we're sorry, we made a mistake. Can you imagine such a political person? Um, yeah, and that's like, I mean, for all of his faults, I mean, I, I would suggest that's Ron DeSantis. Compared to, you know, I know Donald Trump doesn't like Ron DeSantis very much anymore again for some reason. Um, but that's the difference between the two is that Trump never made a mistake, right? At least as far as he's concerned. Um, DeSantis is like, we locked down, then we said that was dumb. And we saw data and we're like, this doesn't make any sense. We're going to open back up again right away. So, I mean, that's somebody that seems more trustworthy because they can acknowledge when, when they can be shown their error, an error and actually 
retract and go the other direction. They're not always like on the same path and you can't ever divert from the path. Or as uh, the new campaign slogan from one of the people running for president is, we're going to finish what we started. And like, fin- what do you, finish what? What did you start? I'm not sure. Where are we going? What's the end? Yeah. Anyway. All right. Um, so, but, but here, even then, even then, if you did have a Christian um, running for office and it, they could somehow get elected, good luck with that. Um, you know, they're going to be, they, and even if your politician calls people to repentance, um, which we've had some politicians do. Think of the famous speech from Eisenhower about the, the, uh, gov- the industrial, med- what is it, the military-industrial complex, that famous farewell speech. Yeah, good luck. It's like, here, stop doing it. Bye, I'm going on vacation. Yeah. Right, okay. Well, yeah. Anyway, all of that is kind of utopian, like we can somehow fi- make heaven on earth which is set apart to the kingdom of Christ, right? which is ultimately the only um, utopia that we'll have. And actually, it's not even a utopia, because utopia means no place. So it's utopia, E-U, good place, instead of you, not. Mm. All right, turn the page. Now we can go on to seven through nine. All right, I told you, there's some things to talk about here. Thus, I will make Mount Seir most desolate and cut off from it the one who leaves and the one who returns, which is good. By the way, leaving and returning, this is the language, returning is the language of, theologically, return to the Lord your God and he will, repentance, good job. Yeah, to repent is to return. Remember, uh, repent just means to turn around. So um, if you're in your sins, you're facing away from Christ. If you're forgiven, you're if, or if you're repentant, you turn back to Christ for forgiveness. You're looking on him face to face. Some of our people have a, a really cool pious practice when they come up to the sacrament is they look at the, the wounds of Jesus. They look up at the wounds when, between receiving the kinds of the sacrament. Right? Because it's in those wounds I find. We actually sang that today. Jesus, it was in the first communion hymn. Right? In these holy wounds I find. Dun, 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 healing from... Yeah, it was in that one. Yeah, it's a lovely hymn. All right, so, um, um, so note that there's the possibility of, that there are those that live in Mount, on Mount Seir or in Edom that will repent, and he will cut them off from Mount Seir so that they don't receive the destruction. So it's not, all, it's not quite as bad a judgment as we've been hearing in the previous 30 chapters, 33, all right? Um, and he will cut off from it the one who leaves. So that's the one who flees and returns to the Lord. Pretty cool, right? Um, not very many will do that, probably. Um, but notice is this is always still spoken to Israel. How many people that Israel warned to repent um, turned back to the Lord? Right, as many as the Lord calls. All right, and then I will fill its mountains with the slain. Oh, that sounds pleasant. And on your hills and your valleys and all your ravines are those slain by the sword shall fall. This is a good picture for the boys. Right? You can imagine all the people slain and laying on the mountain and in the rivers. And if they're slain and they're in the rivers, and what's the rivers full of? Bloody rivers. What does slain mean? Killed. Killed. Yeah. What did ES, how did ESV say it? ESV translates it the same way. Slain with the sword, right? Yep. Yep. Slain with the sword. And I will make you. So they were perpetually at odds with God's people. So what does God do to them? He makes them perpetually desolate. 
cities uninhabited. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. My understanding, I haven't, I haven't looked. There's not a lot of people that live in this area of the world. That part, south of Israel, what was Mount Seir, Edom. There's highways that go through there, but it's mostly a desert. There is something almost hubristic about trying to build cities in the desert, right? Is that, like the Saudis do that, right? It's like, because it's like man over nature, basically. Um, what's the, you know about the 15 minute city? The, that's the line that goes from, like, is it from the Arabian Gulf all the way across to the... Yeah, it's just, no, it's, they've started construction. You can find the construction videos. Yeah, on YouTube, they have time-lapse construction. They're excavating the whole thing. It's a city. It's only, what, a mile wide or something? Or less than that. And it's walled up on the side, and it's just, it's just a straight shot. It just keeps going and going and going. So you live in one section. And you could travel from one end to the other, I suppose. But it's some Saudi guy with all billions of dollars who wants to... Yeah, maybe environmental. Well, because they, they can channel. It's basically a channel, so they can bring water back and forth. Then utilities. But it's in the desert, right? A place that is clearly God has made a desert. <laughs> right? He makes the places a waste. This is the question to ask you. There, there's evidence of rivers in the Sahara Desert, right? And lakes. And there's, there's old maps that have rivers and lakes in Sahara. So the question for you to figure out for me someday is when did God make that place desolate? Because it's in, it's in known history. Like we're talking about maps from the medieval period have lakes and rivers and trees and everything in what is now the Saharan Desert. So what was the event that wiped it out? I don't know. It's, it's an open question. It's not in the Bible, of course. It's after that. Because there are maps in the medieval times yeah. Yeah, it's called Muritania. Muritania. Correct. That's correct. That's correct. We have no word from the Lord. That's correct. All right. So at some point it got wiped out in like known history, but it's not recorded. The whole place is wiped out. This is where like legends like um, what's what's the what's this the city that was in that was buried under the water? Atlantis. Atlantis may have actually been in Mauritania, in the Sahara, and it was, it was a city surrounded by water, but then it was wiped out. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Uh, that's neither here nor there. God can do such things is the point. Yeah, sorry. Don't think too hard about these things. Maybe everything you've been told to believe in school isn't real. Yeah. All right. Well, whatever. <laughs> you guys are going to get me in trouble. I just asked it as a question. I said, maybe. You're the one who said it. Just for the record, Don, you got it? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I will make you perpetually desolate and uninhabited. Right? Why? Because you were perpetually at odds with me. Right. Or my people. And we, don't, we have to be careful, because the Bible is very careful about this. There is no distinction between, for the most, and this is true for most of the ancient world, not just the Bible people, between the land the temple, the people, and the Lord, right? So the Lord dwells with his people in the land that he gave them and often in, in the temple or the tabernacle. So you just, if you attack the tabernacle, you're attacking the Lord, you're attacking God's people, you're attacking the land. Or if you take the tabernacle away, then the land doesn't prosper, the Lord departs, etc., etc. We already had this in Ezekiel. 
back in. It's on the sheet somewhere. I'm jumping around a little bit. Um, oh yeah, back in Ezekiel 9 through 11, where the glory departed. The kavod Yahweh departed from Israel. Ichabod, the glory has departed, right? You know, remember that part? Yeah. Right. Um, so the temple, once God leaves the temple, then is there any use for the temple? No. And once God leaves the land, is there any use for the land? <laughs> right? Um, or, and, and all those things are kind of bound together. It's, it's hard. So now think of that for you as, a Christ, as Christians, right? You are with God's people. You're in God's house. Well, actually, you are God's house, right? The temple not made with hands, Jesus, and you're built up into Jesus as living stones, right? So he dwells in you, plural. We talked about this last week, as God's people, right? So if he's with you and if he dwells with you, then you are his people. Then where you are is his land, is his kingdom. So how does God's kingdom come? When the word of God is taught in its truth and purity and we as the people of God lead holy lives according to it. So where's his kingdom? Wherever Christians are gathered, right? Is that, that doesn't have boundaries like nations did. And that was Israel's deceit. They thought as long as they were in the land, they had, their, they had God without faith. Well, then God's glory departs. And then what happens to the land? And what happens to the temple? Yeah, it's made desolate. It's wiped out. But of course, Israel gets restored. And they make a wreck of that. Then they're destroyed again, right? Uh, and ultimately, the restoration God's talking about is, is the Christian church. He's, he's gathered you into Jesus. He dwells with you. You are his, his dwelling place. And uh, you are his temple. And so wherever you go, that's where God is in Jesus. Which is beautiful, right? So you don't, you don't have to like find Israel or find, just find Christians that are hearing God's word and receiving his gifts. And there Jesus is. And there he's taking care of you. All right. So, uh, oh yeah, we need some more judgment though. Sorry. Oh, I actually wrote all that down. That's nice. It's on the third paragraph on the second page. You can go read that on your own. Verse 11, 10 and 11. Because you have said, these two nations and these two countries shall be mine, and we will possess them. So this is Edom talking. We've got our land, and we're going to take Israel. Or Judah, I should say, Judah. Because Judah, they've been exiled. So we're just going to take them over. Um, and maybe that's why this gets delayed to now, because we needed the fall of Jerusalem before Edom had their eyes on Judah. But now that it's been left desolate, they're going to go take it over, is the thought. Make sense? All right. So we're going to take both of them. And possess them. Although the Lord was there, therefore, as I live, says the Lord God, I will do according to your anger and according to the envy which you showed in your hatred against them, that's Judah, and I will make myself known among them when I judge you. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. Again, I love you to know the Lord, but I want you to know him in the person and work of Jesus, who shows you grace and mercy and peace, not as he brings judgment against unbelief, right? That's only for, hopefully only for a time for you. I have heard all your blasphemies which you've spoken, and here it is again, against the mountains of Israel. So they blasphemed the mountain? How do you blaspheme a mountain? The Lord dwells on the mountain, right? It'd be like speaking against the temple. Now you're blaspheming. This is what they accused Jesus of, incidentally. <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. They are desolate. They are given to us to consume. That's what they're saying. Thus with your mouth, your big mouth... You have boasted against me and multiplied your words against me. And this is terrifying. And I have heard them. All right. 
We don't want God not to hear us. Like, especially when we call out to him in time of need for prayer, right? He he promises to hear our prayers. Um, But do you want him to hear you when you're boasting against him about what you're going to do despite him? No, no, that doesn't sound so pleasant. Right? And then that's what's considered a blaspheme. So you see all of this. The Lord's connected to the mountain. Uh, the people are connected to the mountain and to the Lord. And by, by, taking, by saying we're going to go conquer or we're going to go take this land that's now been left empty just for a time, you know, a couple decades until the Lord returns Israel, um, they're actually they're going against not only... It's not just land. They're actually taking what the Lord has not given them. And they're actually then, they're acting in, in idolatry. They're, their God is going to conquer God. And maybe their God is just themselves, but it could, or maybe it's their idols that they have that I don't know about, Edom's idols, idols. So an attack on God's people is an attack on God. Make sense? Attack on God's, the place where he promises to dwell is an attack on God, it's an attack on God's people. Somebody comes after our worship, they're coming after you, and they're coming after the Lord. There's no, there's no, None of this nonsense that, that we, I mean, I even fell for it, that somehow our, our worship is disconnected from our God and our, and our congregation. It's of, it's of a kind. You can't separate them apart. So there is no private worship of God. There is, only, there is the public worship of God and private worship. But, right? but you can't say I'm a Christian without a congregation, which we've talked about many times. Unfortunately, that's what the world teaches too. Yeah, you were going to say, I'm sorry. An attack on God's people, is that ultimately always the devil well, of course. Yeah, yeah, of course. Of course. Now, whether they know it's a demonic attack or they're acting in league with the devil, doesn't matter. That's certainly what Edom's doing here. Whether they know it or not isn't even the point. Right? This is also why it's very important as Christians that you don't go other, after other Christians to try to destroy them, especially, or to tear, down, tear them down. That doesn't mean if they're speaking falsely or contrary to God's word that you don't seek to correct them. But you know that correction, rebuke, correction... That all comes by, again, the same way that you were brought to faith, by the Holy Spirit. So speak the truth in love and, and pray the Holy Spirit, correct their error. But, there's no, but Christians attacking Christians is also demonic. Even if you're like, well, but they're, they're really kind of far afield. I don't care. I really don't. Um, I do care about what they're teaching if it's false. But I, I don't, I, I'm not saying we should go tear them down. I mean, yeah, we call those inter-Nicene battles. We, have, we share the Nicene Creed and yet we don't actually, we argue with each other. <laughs> it's like, why? Why are you doing that? I mean, we should argue about faith, but not to tear each other down, but to build each other up. That's the distinction, I suppose, is what you want to make. Yeah, Matt. Um, are you making a distinction with um, somebody that's going after you just in general, trying to attack you, or are you trying to attack you? No. Between you and God, no, much more specific. By an attack on the preaching of the gospel. All right, so uh, they can come after you for being Christian because you live a Christian life, a, you know, a moral, upright life. That, that's, not a, that's just an attack on morality. If they come after you because you confess Christ, you repent you, for the forgiveness of sins, and that you insist that that be proclaimed to you, that's, that's, where, the, that's where Satan really wants to hit you. Now, he might do it through other kinds of deceit to put your trust in other things, even ostensibly Christian, you know, so that if you trust him, you're moral living for salvation. He's not going to attack you for that. That's why, yeah, I mean, he's going to attack you if you're like, if, if you're repenting. Yeah. 
Uh, and if others attack, it's going to be on that same basis. So even amongst Lutherans, uh, by the way, on Twitter, anybody use Twitter? That's where Lutherans argue, and it's terrible. Um, that's always what the argument's about, is the preaching of the gospel. They don't argue about, like, is Mount Seir Edom? You know, which is just, would be just, that'd be a fine thing to argue about, right? Maybe they don't agree. Fine, we can argue about that. But they actually argue about whether the gospel should predominate and whether forgiveness of sins is the chief proclamation of the Christian church. That's what we end up arguing about. You're like, that's actually, so that is demonic. They're trying to tear, the, tear our confession apart, actually. Because that's, that's our chief article of faith. According to all, everything that we write. So, anyway. Yeah, so very specific. Coming after you because you trust in the forgiveness of sins in Jesus. Is that kind of like when Jesus was Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So the Satan's temptation w- later on with Peter is to not go to the cross to die for sins. So that's explicitly what we're talking about here. Before, with Satan's temptation, it was to deter Jesus from doing that work by enticing him by power or by wealth or by what was the other thing? Um, just right, um, reckless, reckless living. Yeah, reckless living. Right. Yeah. So, so there, Satan's trying to entice him away from the work that he's, well, that he, that he became flesh to do, which is to die for the sins of the world, which was always the, the plan that God had had. So, so that's why I said Satan's deceits are sometimes more clever. It's not like a direct attack on forgiveness of sins. It just may be to send your hope or trust somewhere else. Right. And political leaders, for example. A lot of Christians believe that like, if we elect the right person, we're going to be saved. Maybe not from sin, death, and hell, but at least from um, earthly enemies. And the, the fact that the, from the scripture's confession is that that doesn't save you. They can't save you from those things either. That's, that's God too. Body, life, and salvation eternally. So if you want to be protected from earthly enemies, that's God as well. Yes, he does it through civil leaders, but um, you, need, you need God's protection, his help. Not, not just theirs, I guess, is how you'd say it. You could pray that God used them to bring about the things that you know God has promised you. All right? Yeah, a lot of things going on there. Thanks, Matt. All right, we can just get the last two verses here. Thus, oh, did we finish it? Yeah, I've heard them. Thus says the Lord God. And the 1415 kind of changes course quite a bit. That's like, oh, that's odd. Thus says the Lord God, the whole earth will rejoice when I make you desolate. <laughs> it's kind of weird, right? As you rejected or rejoiced because of the inheritance of the house of Israel was desolate, and so I will do to you, you shall be desolate, O Mount Seir, as well as all of Edom. There you go. All of it. So Mount Seir, it's like Jerusalem is the epitome of Judea. Mount Seir is the epitome of Edom. And then they shall know that I am the Lord. So this is an unexpected reversal. Um, just as we confessed in the creeds, this is the second to last paragraph on page two. As we confess in the creeds, this goal has been all, or has already been accomplished on Easter with the triumphant resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, the vanquishing, um, having vanquished death and the devil along with our, all our sins by his atonement on the cross. And so what's going on here with Edom is we can rejoice in the downfall of Edom without any, because Edom is here representing the kingdom of Satan. So the Lord has won the victory over sin, death, and devil. That's where this rejoicing is coming. It seems a little strange when you realize, oh yes, remember, we're supposed to read this in light of the, end, the last day. So Edom is just another 
placeholder, a real example, a real place that really existed, and real people there that really did rebel against God, but they, they're serving as a representative of the, the bigger story, which is the triumph over all of God's enemies, all those who have re- rejected him or rebelled against him or made him to be their enemy. Uh, there it is, it's a statement I said I would, it was on here somewhere. No Gentile oracles are understood correctly if they're not read eschatologically. That's of, of the last day. Does that follow? Yeah. Oh man, I, did I just draw on, draw on the screen? Nobody said anything. Pastor, you scribbled on the screen. Don't scribble on the screen. All right, good. You, you were going to tell me? All right. Uh, noteworthy here too is the possession of the house or in the inheritance of the house of Israel, or possession. We've talked a lot about possession and inheritance, right? Um, gentlemen, Paul talks about this um, in Romans, right? With, if the inheritance comes by the law, then it is no longer an inheritance, but it is an inheritance. Inheritance comes by way of gift, by the testator who gives it. And it's ratified upon the death of the testator, that, namely Jesus. So your inheritance comes by Jesus' death and resurrection. What is the inheritance that you receive? Is it the land of Canaan, or then later called Israel? That's a little story, and that was true, right? But that was pointing to the bigger story, okay? In the New Testament, inherit, inheritance and heir is used in regards to baptism. So, uh, so you think of it this way. Uh, the Bible does this often. There's steps. So there's the lesser step, and that's pointing forward to a greater step. So you have circumcision, which included, was pointing forward to the promise of the offspring that would crush the serpent's head. But now that he's come, everybody receives baptism, not just the male sons, right? Now it's for females, it's for Jew and Gentile, like all receive baptism, male and female, all. So there's a step there. It's just for a few, and then it's for everyone. You have, you have the inheritance of Israel, Right? But now, what's the inheritance of the baptized? The kingdom of heaven? And actually, the whole earth, too, is your inheritance. It's all yours. Not just that little plot of land over there. God's kingdom can dwell anywhere on the earth, right? So you have this kind of stepping up. Um, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile, then to the four, the four corners of the, or the ends of the earth, right? Uh, so that's how the gospel goes out. The gospel is for all nations. Christ is the Lord, not just of Israel, but of the Lord of lords. All lords, right? Yeah. All right. Uh, let's see. We receive an inheritance and are heirs of all God's promises from those issued to Abraham through those uttered by Christ himself. Every promise is yours made in the Bible in Jesus. Ultimately, our inheritance will compromise the entirety of the new heavens and the new earth. All right. God remains the ultimate owner of the land. This is the other thing that Edom is failing at, right? Oh, it's just ours to take. You know, kind of like, uh, well, I don't know, who's the bad guy? Putin, right? I deserve that land or something. I don't know what he said. Maybe he did. Depends on whose story you want to read. I think it's the other way around. They said, we'd rather be Russians than be Ukrainians because the Ukrainians are corrupt oligarchs and they're terrible people. And Russia, can you come annex us? And they voted to. And then Putin did, and then the Ukrainians, and uh, anyway. You can read both sides of the story. Uh, uh, territorial, what did, there's a, there's a Nirvana song, what's it called? Territorial pissings. Everybody's just pissing over what land they want. Uh, but ultimately, God is the owner of every land. 
Yahweh's vested interest in it is shown by his use of possession or inheritance. And then he's going to keep talking about possession and inheritance. He's introducing the idea here, and you're going to keep seeing it all the way through to the end of the book. Possession, inheritance, heirs, all that language. If it functions as a sort of key to the meaning of the entire pericope, especially what we'll look at next time. The true God of Israel, Galatians 6, the one church that spans both testaments, retains its inheritance, while unbelieving Edom's claims are thrown out by the heavenly judge. They tried to take what was not theirs. Right? And how, but it could be theirs. How? Repentance, yeah, turning to the Lord. Right? And then they can be included into Israel. Which is also part of the story of Israel that people miss. Is that even, like, there are many Egyptians that came out with Israel when they, let, when they fled Egypt. They're like, wait a minute, where are the Egyptians? I mean, never. And there's Gentiles being included through the whole story. They're coming in through, and they're looking forward to faith in the promise of Abraham. Rahab, right, is another example. Yeah, Ruth. David's great-grandmother was from Moab, right? She's not, no. Abraham was from, he was a Babylonian. Well, it wasn't Babylon yet, but it will be. Right? He was, he was with, in Ur of the Chaldeans. The Chaldeans were the ruling class of, uh, the ruling people of Babylon. So, God's chosen people, Israel, are actually, from the beginning, being gathered from other places and being brought into faith. So that could be true um, for Edom. And that would be true uh, for anybody, actually, in this world today, too. That's a great application, right? It's like, I, I actually don't care what nationality you are. Not just skin color, but like who you're attached to and what country you're part of. Are any of you sovereign citizens? Don't say it out loud. The FBI is listening. All right. Uh, that was a joke. You're not laughing. You know about sovereign citizens? These are people that... National citizens. Okay, national citizens. You can watch the videos on YouTube. It's kind of fun. But, um, yeah, it, that, that's fine. But none of that matters in regards to the kingdom of heaven. Jew, Gentile, slave, free even, male, female, all are one in Christ through baptism and receive the same inheritance as, this, as a gift from God. All right. So yes, there's judgment against Mount Seir, against Edom. But that's, again, a picture of the last judgment and the... Uh, uh, and that could be your judgment too, unless you repent, which you did today. So thanks be to God. <laughs> All right. Oh, you're welcome. You're welcome. Good. So next, we'll get the second half of the Oracle next time. But now you know a lot more about Mount Seir, hopefully, and Edom, and kind of their role in the history, theological history of Israel. Thank you. All right. Yeah, go have fun. You can run around a bit or whatever until picnic time. Yeah. Don't let anybody eat until we pray. So if they say, oh, we'll just start eating and say, nope, we're going to pray first. Wait for pastor. Is it October yet? We should have Oktoberfest today. <laughs>